Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 3, Episode 3. Last week, I provided a summary of Exodus chapters 5 through 9, and in those chapters covered the first seven plagues that God sent to Pharaoh in order to convince him to let the Israelites go. Specifically, these plagues were turning water to blood, infestations of frogs, lice or gnats, flies, diseased livestock, boils, and a thunderstorm of hail. Despite all of these, and just as God had predicted, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he refused to let the Israelites leave. And before I move on to the next plague, I need to provide some clarification. Christians generally interpret the third plague as gnats or lice, like I covered last week. But the Hebrew word in the scripture could also be fleas. And if you remember the two episodes where I covered the making of the King James Version, you will remember the original translation was written as the Black Plague swept through London, all brought on by fleas. A bit of irony. Also, the fourth plague is viewed in Christianity as being flies. But in the Jewish faith, it is generally thought of as being an array of wild animals probably a mixture of snakes, scorpions, venomous reptiles, and possibly other venomous insects such as wasps, centipedes, and the like. And no matter what you believe, none of these were welcomed creatures. And with that said, if you missed last week's episode, you should go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm picking up in Exodus chapter 10 with the infestations of locusts and working through the next few chapters, stopping at chapter 13. So let's get started. Chapter 10 begins with God addressing Moses. Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his officials, in order that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I have made fools of the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them so that you may know that I am the Lord." And Moses and Aaron did as they are instructed and presented themselves before Pharaoh, again. This time, they warn of an impending invasion of locusts, but not a minor invasion. Instead, so many that, from the text, they shall cover the surface of the land, so that no one will be able to see the land, They shall devour the last remnant left you after the hail. They shall devour every tree of yours that grows in the field. They shall fill your houses, and the houses of all your officials, and of all the Egyptians, something that neither your parents nor your grandparents have seen, from the day they came on earth to this day." And then, and this is new, Pharaoh is counseled by his advisors to let the Israelites go. To quote, they said, Let the people go, so that they may worship the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? End quote. And I have two takeaways from their advice. First, they still believed that the Israelites were leaving to worship and may have assumed they were coming back. And second, they are beginning to turn on Pharaoh, as even they could see how his hardened heart was to be the demise of their empire. In a modern sense, a coup may have been brewing. Moving along. Pharaoh, heeding their advice, 
brought Moses and Aaron back in and told them to take the people to worship. But then he asked the brotherly duo who they were planning on taking, which seems like a really strange question. This time, Moses speaks and says, We will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and daughters and with our flocks and herds, because we had the Lord's festival to celebrate. End quote. Now with that, I really have to wonder about the 80-year-old Moses. He had numerous times told God that he was not a good speaker. But that was great. Really, it was. It was succinct, on point, and left no doubt. And it even seems a bit poetic. Moses had underpromised and overdelivered. But even with that, it was to no avail. Pharaoh was going to have none of it and used Moses' plan as a way out from what his advisors had advised. Pharaoh said, The Lord indeed will be with you, if I ever let your little ones go with you. Plainly, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, never. Your men may go and worship the Lord, for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. End quote. Now, I personally really enjoy that Pharaoh chose to use the phrase evil purpose when describing what God had instructed the Israelite leaders to do. It seems that the psychological concept of projection was alive and well in ancient Egypt. God then speaks to Moses and brings on the locusts, so many that, from the text, such a dense swarm as had never been seen before, nor ever shall be again. And just like Moses had foretold, nothing green was left. No tree, no plant in the field, in all the land of Egypt. Now, the text is unclear if the pest invaded Goshen. But it does say that nothing green was left in all of Egypt. And Goshen was in Egypt. So, it can be inferred that the Israelites were impacted. Next, Moses and Aaron are brought again before Pharaoh where the dictator says, I have sinned against the Lord your God, and against you. Do forgive my sin just this once, and pray to the Lord your God, that at the least he remove this deadly thing from me. End quote. So Moses leaves and prays to God, and all of the locusts, every single one, are driven to the Red Sea, where they presumably become fish food. Before moving along, a quick sidebar. In the Western world, we are familiar with frogs, flies, gnats, fleas, probably boils, disease, and hailstorms. But locusts, not so much. Well, quickly, locusts are just grasshoppers that have entered into what is known as a swarming phase. I'll explore this more in depth when I'm diving into the history But for now, just know that grasshoppers are usually solitary creatures. But when they swarm, their biology changes. Seriously, they change color, become ravenous eaters, and breed much more easily. And such plagues have been seen in modern history, and even in the same region. Well, that's probably enough for now. Moving along. Since you've made it this far into the summary... I'm sure you can guess what happens next. Pharaoh's heart hardens, and he refuses to let the Israelites leave. Cue the next plague. 
this plague comes without warning. Well, at least to the Egyptian court. God instructs Moses to, quoting, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, so that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness that can be felt. And the last phrase is interesting, and I'm unsure if it's meant to be taken literally. A darkness that can be felt. Anyway, the narrative goes into great detail describing how dark it really was. There was dense darkness in all of the land of Egypt for three days. People could not see one another, and for three days they could not move from where they were. But all the Israelites had light where they lived. For emphasis, it was dark for three days. Three days without light in their world. Pharaoh calls Moses into his royal court and addresses him, telling him he can take everyone to the wilderness to worship. Though, as a sort of bond, even though it's not explicitly stated as a bond, they must leave behind their flocks and herds. Moses isn't satisfied and responds, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings to sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us, not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must choose some of them for the worship of the Lord our God, and we will not know what to use to worship the Lord until we arrive there. Pharaoh is not pleased, to say the least, and the chapter ends with the dictator and Moses presumably yelling at each other. From the text, Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care that you do not see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, Just as you say, I will never see your face again. And that's the end of chapter 10. The importance of the first paragraph of chapter 11 cannot be overstated, as it lays the groundwork for what is to come. From the text, The Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt, Afterwards, he will let you go from here. Indeed, when he lets you go, he will drive you away. Tell the people that every man is to ask his neighbor, and every woman is to ask her neighbor for objects of silver and gold. The Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, Moses himself was a man of great importance in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's officials, and in the sight of the people. End quote. Moses personally passes the warning along to Pharaoh, so much for the two not seeing each other again. And he adds his own words, improving yet again that he was not a poor speaker. He said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out through Egypt. Every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, to the firstborn of the female slave who is behind the handmill and all the firstborn of the livestock. Then there will be a loud cry throughout the whole land of Egypt, such as has never been or ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl at any of the Israelites, not at people, not at animals, so that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Then all these officials of yours shall come down to me and bow low to me, saying, Leave us, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. And in hot anger, he left Pharaoh. End quote. 
And notice, he didn't say that Pharaoh would do anything, but that every other Egyptian would. So much for the authority of the reigning monarch. And to a monarch, such a show of disloyalty is just about the worst thing that could happen. Worse than plagues. God then tells Moses that Pharaoh will not heed Moses' warning, as his heart was too hard. And the chapter ends. Chapter 12 begins with God giving both Moses and Aaron very specific instructions regarding the first Passover. Essentially, he tells them that each household should slaughter a one-year-old male sheep or goat, better known as a lamb. They should mark each of their houses with the blood of the lamb and cook the remainder over a fire, and then eat the cooked meat. Of course, the text is very specific, and if interested, it can be found in Exodus chapter 12, verses 3 through 13. And backing up to the first three verses, God also gives the Israelites a calendar and tells them that the impending plague will occur the night between the 10th and the 11th of that month. Which begs the question, what is the plague? God tells the brothers that he, quoting, will pass through the land of Egypt that night and will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals. On the gods of Egypt he will execute judgments, end quote. And, since Aaron was the oldest, I'm sure he paid really, really close attention. God also instructs them that the houses that are marked with lamb's blood will be spared. The next paragraph, which is comprised of verses 14 through 20, tells the Israelites how they are to observe the Passover festival in subsequent years. Once again, if interested, you know where to find the text. Moses tells the Israelite leaders to instruct everyone about what is coming and how to avoid the impending doom, essentially using hyssop bunches as paintbrushes to apply the lamb's blood to the doorpost. They are to remain indoors until dawn breaks the next day. He also instructs them about keeping the celebration going in subsequent years. Right on cue, the tenth plague arrived. From the text, At midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. Pharaoh arose in the night, he and all his officials, and all the Egyptians, and there was a loud cry in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron in the night, and said, Rise up, go away from my people, both you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you said, take your flocks and your herds as you said, and be gone, and bring a blessing on me too. End quote. Oh, the nerve, bring me a blessing too. The text continues. The Egyptians urged the people, meaning the Israelites, to hasten their departure from the land for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, with their kneading bowls wrapped up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The Israelites had done as Moses told them. They had asked the Egyptians for jewelry of silver and gold and for clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. And so they plundered the Egyptians. 
End quote. The Israelites made their way from Ramses to Succoth. As you would expect, the city of Ramses is assumed to have been in Goshen. And how far was it to Succoth? Well, the answer to that depends on who you ask. Some say it was as far as 130 miles, or 209 kilometers, to as short as 8 miles, or 13 kilometers. But there is no doubt that they did leave. I covered Succoth many weeks ago, in Chapter 2, Episode 59. Feel free to go back and re-listen. The text tells us that about 600,000 men left, and the only exclusion in that number is that it doesn't include children, meaning male children. So obviously, when women and children are counted, there were many, many more. I've seen a number as high as about 2.4 million, which given a few assumptions as to when a male reached adulthood and the male-to-female ratio, 2.4 million seems a bit high. But who knows? Certainly not me. On the low side, it may have been as low as about 1.5 million. Either way, it was company after company of Israelites. And now for a little thought experiment. If you go with the low number of 1.5 million Israelites and assume they marched five abreast and three feet or one meter between rows, the line would have stretched 170 miles or 273 kilometers. So, even if Succoth was 130 miles from Ramses, the first Israelites would have been arriving there before the last left Ramses. And those numbers don't even include the livestock. A colossal undertaking. Now, archaeologists will tell you that there is no Egyptian record of any migration from Egypt that even approaches this size. Which is true. But what is also true is that the Egyptians rarely recorded their defeats. Well, that's actually true with most societies. The defeat of one culture is usually only found in the records of the culture that was victorious. And there is a record from the victorious. It's found right here, in the book of Exodus. And back to that book. The chapter ends with God telling Moses and Aaron who can participate in Passover celebrations. Which brings me to chapter 13. The first part of the chapter describes how the firstborn of all animals, and man too, belongs to God. Later in the chapter, we're told what this means. Essentially, the firstborn of what are considered clean livestock are to be sacrificed to God. The firstborn male children are to be redeemed, meaning they are to serve as a reminder of how God freed them from Egyptian bondage. The text is more specific, especially concerning animal sacrifices, but that's enough detail for this podcast, at least for now. The next part of the chapter contains specific instructions on how the Israelites are to celebrate their release from captivity. And it's a little by luck, and a little by design, that the episode covering this chapter is being released on Thanksgiving Day 2017. Well, it's Thanksgiving in the U.S. Anyway, in the text, we are told of what is known as the Festival of Unleavened Bread. Moses tells the people, Remember this day on which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. 
because the Lord brought you out from there by strength of hand. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your ancestors to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this observance in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a festival to the Lord, a thanksgiving. Well, those are my words. Back to the text. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen in your possession, and no leaven shall be seen among you in all your territory. You shall tell your children on that day, It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. It shall serve for you as a sign on your hand and as a reminder on your forehead, so that the teaching of the Lord may be on your lips. For with a strong hand the Lord brought you out of Egypt. You shall keep this ordinance at its proper time from year to year. The last part of Exodus chapter 13 sets the stage for the 40 years in the wilderness. We are told that God, having just freed the Israelites from Egypt, did not lead them directly to Canaan, the land he had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why would he do this? Well, the text actually tells us God's thoughts. Not what he said, per se, but what he was thinking. Ponder that for a minute. Okay, all done pondering? Well, God thought if the people face war, they may change their minds and return to Egypt. And yes, that's a quote. Egyptian slavery may be bad, but war with the Philistines would be worse. We are told that they took a roundabout way through the wilderness traveling towards the Red Sea. Also, the text closes the loop on Joseph, reminding us of the oath taken hundreds of years before that his remains would be returned to Canaan. The Israelites leave Succoth and make it as far as Etham. Now, no one knows exactly where Etham is, but I'll cover what is known in a future episode. The text, though, tells us it's on the edge of the wilderness, whatever that means. Finally, chapter 13 ends with a description of how God led their steps, specifically as a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light, so that they may travel by day and by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. And that's just as good of a place as any to end this episode. Join me next week when I'll pick up the summary of Exodus in chapter 14. You don't want to miss it. But before I go, for summary, in the future, I'll be covering the remainder of the plagues, the purpose of a handmill, the leavening of bread, the Hebrew calendar, a place known as Etham, Hyssop, and probably a few other people, places, and concepts. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, I hope you will go to iTunes, or wherever you receive the podcast from, and leave a positive review. For those of you that have, you are helping others to find the podcast. 
You can also find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page. If you're enjoying the podcast, do subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss any. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.